chapter 2, verse 1. When David was close to death, he told Solomon, his son, I am about to die. Be strong and become a man. David is going to tell Solomon now to be a man. Now, right now, chapter 1 has already unpacked what the culture thinks a man is. A man is David with Abishag. A man is Adonijah seizing authority. A man is that culturally speaking. The question is, what is David going to say a man is? Do the job that Yahweh your God has assigned you or obey his commands by assigned you by following his instructions and obeying his rules and commandments and regulations and laws as written laws of Moses. Then you will succeed in all that you do and seek to accomplish. And the Yahweh will fulfill his promise to me. If your descendants watch their steps and live faithfully in my presence with all their heart and being, then he promised you will not fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. David says, be a man, and a man obeys God and keeps his commandments, and then he is successful in the world. Now, David probably knows this through hindsight, because at the times that he act like a man like the rest of the world, he was in running, on hiding, everything was failing around him, and the times that he got right with God and cried out to him and obey him, then things started falling into place. And now that he's looked at his life in hindsight, he's come to his son and he says, I have now truly figured out what it means to be a man. And he's echoing Micah when he says, he has told you, man, what is good and what is right. And as to keep his commands, I live righteously and act justly. For life will flow out of you like living springs. Now it's a paraphrase. That's David's definition. And so chapter 1 gave you the world's definition, and Adonijah failed miserably. Chapter 2, David is now saying this is the definition of a man. And the question is, which one is Solomon going to embrace? He's seen the failure. He's heard the stories of his brother Absalom acting like the world's definition of failing. He saw with his own eyes his brother Adonijah acting like a man failing. He probably heard the stories of his dad acting like a world's definition of a man and failing. And now he has seen that all this fell into place without him doing nothing. No, Solomon didn't do anything. It all was made possible by David, Nathan, Zadok, and Benaiah, and they didn't lift a sword. Who is he going to become? A man after God's own heart or a man like Absalom Adonijah? And that's what the narrative. Remember when David killed Goliath? praising God, but he killed him and cut off his own head and did it for reward? And the question the narrator is asking is, which one he'll become? Now the narrator is asking the same thing of Solomon. Which man will he become? Which man will he become? So the first thing that David says is, this is what it means to be a man. Obey God and keep his commandments. The second thing that David is going to tell him to do is in verse 5. You know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, how he murdered two commanders of the Israelite armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. And during the peace time, he struck them down like he would in battle. And when he shed their blood as if in battle, he stained his own belt and sandals of his feet. Do to him what you think is appropriate, but don't let him live long and die a peaceful death. So notice what David says. 
We know that Joab is guilty of murder in violation of the law because he killed two innocent people in cold blood when they weren't in battle. But notice how David says that, but he starts with, you know what he did to me by killing my two good commanders. No, 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 David. You know what he did by violating God's will by murdering people. David's still got a little bit of that cultural worldly man in him still. And that will, the world's definition of what a man and a woman should be will never die completely in us. It will never die completely in us until the resurrection. David says this. Now notice what David says. You do what you think is right, Solomon. But if I had to throw my little advice in, I would say don't let him go to the grave with a gray hair on his head. Don't let him die of old age. Now that David is no longer going to be king, now it's politically convenient to kill Joab. He doesn't need Joab anymore. But he's also wise enough to realize that his son doesn't need a Joab in his life. But Solomon can now kill him because Solomon doesn't have that emotional connection to him. And so David is now saying, I don't need him in my life anymore because it's not politically convenient to me. I no longer have to worry about my inability to deal with him justly because I'm about ready to die in about an hour. <laughs> and, and I don't want this guy in Solomon's life to do to him what he did to me. And Solomon will probably be able to do it because... But notice he's also telling Solomon, you should begin your kingship with violence. You should, you should kill him. Now we would say, yes, he's guilty of murder, But remember, the law also said that he should be put on trial. And the kinsman redeemer, the relatives of the family, should be doing it. And yes, Solomon's king, but David's just saying, go kill him. And it's mostly because of what he did to me. So David's reasons for killing Joab Joab are very selfish. And it's more just violence. The third thing that he tells Solomon to do is verse 7. Treat fairly the sons of Barzillia, of Gilead, and provide for their needs, because they helped me when I had to flee from your brother Absalom. He says Barzillia. Barzillia was that guy who briefly showed up when David was on the run, and David went into, on the Transjordan region across the Jordan and hid out, and Barzillia was a wealthy man who took care of him and provided for him when he was on the run. So David said, make sure that you treat him well, because I promised I would take care of him before what he did, but I want that promise to continue after I die. So it's good advice. The third thing that David, fourth thing that David recommends is verse 8. Note well that you still have to contend with Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from um, Baharion, who tried to call down a curse upon me. And when I went to Mahaniam, he came down and he met me on the Jordan and I solemnly promised him by Yahweh, I will not strike you down with the sword. But now don't treat him as if he were innocent. You are a wise man and you know how to handle him. Make sure he has a bloody death. This is selfish too. Notice what David said. Shimei, remember Shimei was that guy, that old guy who was still like, I voted for Saul and I didn't vote for you and you became king. I don't want you king. And he threw rocks at him and cursed him. And David said to his men who wanted to kill him, said, that's not right. I can't kill a guy for just not liking me. That's not a righteous, just king. And then he promised him and swore by oath that I would never let something bad happen to you. But now David's like, kill him. 
He even says, I swore him an oath that I would not harm him, so son, kill him. Technically, that's a violation of your promise. He won't do it for his son. Yeah. Because what he's realizing is, Shimei is a political pain in your rear end. He's always going to be there reminding you of the days that we voted for the other party. And he's just like, you need to get rid of him. You don't need any naysayers in your kingdom. He's trying to make his son's kingship as comfy and cozy as possible, which that's a noble desire, but not when it's like murder your next door neighbor because they make fun of us every day. <laughs> like, no. So this point is very clear that David is still acting like he, he knows in his head a man is someone who obeys the will of God. But then he turns around and says, violate the Torah and the law of God and just go kill these people. And notice he says, this guy is only guilty of not voting for me, but make sure he has a violent, bloody death. It shows you that David really doesn't like this guy, and that's the only reason he wants him dead. So even though he said be a man, most of the other advice that he has said is completely contradict that definition of what he said. And he's now counseling his son, start your reign with a violence. Be a man, obey God, but make sure that you politically bloody exterminate all those who oppose you. That's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. This is David's final words. Verse 10, Then David passed away and was buried in the city of David. And David reigned over Israel 40 years, and he reigned in Hebron seven years, and Jerusalem 33 years. This is a lot of political turmoil. (laughs) David's sons have not had a good track record. Every son that we've seen in Samuel and Kings, Adonijah, Abnon, Absalom, have all been really bad guys. Never rebuked, never disciplined, good-looking, wealthy, powerful men. And they've all accepted this definition of a worldly man. Now, I can't say for sure where they got that, but David acted that life out a lot. And it was modeled to them. Their father was a rapist. He was a murderous, a murderer. He was an extortionist. He, he was kept trophies of people's heads. Uh, and he kept at least one. And they probably grew up seeing this, and that was modeled to them. Solomon is, was much younger. Now, he's not really young. He's probably in his 30s, maybe even going to his 40s. Later, when he calls himself a boy, he doesn't mean that literally biologically. Because when he becomes um, a king and he's calling himself a boy, he already has a son that's already like becoming an adult. So he's, a, he, he's not a boy, but we'll talk about that when we get there later. But he is younger compared to all of his other brothers because he came much later. So the question is, what David did he see? Just, with, just like with Jacob, Jacob was a scoundrel. And his older sons became scoundrels because that's the father they grew up under. But Jacob began to repent of his idolatry and bury his idols towards the end of his life and tried to change. And that's when he began to raise his younger son, Joseph, who didn't come out to be as much of a scoundrel. But a little bit of that scoundrel in Jacob was still there in his old age. So Solomon has probably been raised, if he was even raised by David. (laughs) We don't know what kind of a mother Bathsheba has been. She was definitely an Israelite. And when we're introduced to him, everything about her was she was obeying the law before David came and messed up her life. 
So maybe his mother's had a good influence. But right now, David's sons don't have a very good track record. They've adopted a worldly definition of manhood. And David has given his son a verbal definition of manhood that is biblical, obey God. But his advice is to act like a worldly man and violently exterminate those who oppose you, whether it's just or not, and support those who back you financially. That sounds like a lobbyist and an opponent. So is, is he really backing Barzillia because it's the right thing to do? Or is he backing them because Barzillia has been funding his kingship and supporting him? Because the other guys were more about them opposing him and making his life difficult. So this advice is more political and violent by the sword. So, so there's a Solomon. We don't know what he has witnessed with his own eyes over the years. But what we do know is that David has given him one definition verbally, but advised him to act completely contrary to that with his political enemies and his partners in a different way. And the question that is now being asked by the narrator that is always being asked is what kind of king is Solomon going to become? It's clear that Yahweh wants him to be king. Because when he is born in Samuel, Yahweh calls him my beloved. And so Yahweh obviously is shining in favor with him. Yahweh later is going to come along and say, Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give to you. Which suggests God is not opposing him. But there's a little bit more going on with that too when we get there. Nathan, the prophet, has clearly said that this is the one that God wants. And God has not opposed that or corrected or disciplined them. But at the same time, David was the one that God wanted. And God made a covenant with him and promised he'd be king. But David still raped and murdered and extorted and acted like the world. So there is no guarantee that this guy will be godly just because this is the guy God picked. God picked Jacob and not Esau. And he was a scumbag. So the question that is being asked is, yes, this is the one that God picked. And a lot of times God picks you because there are no other good options like Samson. But the question is, who will he become? And that's always the question. The minute you give anybody power, the question you need to be asked is, who will they become as our leader? And just because they're godly right now, and just because I think he's a great guy or a great woman, and just because it really seems like God answered all of our prayers and pointed to him, and I'm convinced that it's God's will that we chose him as our leader, our pastor, our president, our boss, our leader of this ministry, whatever, doesn't mean he's going to stay or she is going to stay that way all the time. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't still be held accountable because they're still sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And a lot of times we pick people based on their godly character and we know that God picked them because we prayed a lot and then we think, good, and then we stop watching them. Or we justify a lot of what they did, but God picked them. I prayed about this. Yes, you did, and he did. But so did David. And so did Moses and Aaron and Jacob and Abraham. And they all failed. Elijah. Elisha, and we're getting to them. The question, remember, is that there always needs to be the covenant watchdogs in their life. 
the people that make sure that they stay godly, the people that make sure that they're held accountable to the word of God, and the people who are willing to do the difficult thing of removing them if necessary, but the people who also so desperately want them to succeed and be godly that they're also supporting them and championing them. And that's a hard tension for us to do. And so the question is, which one will Solomon become? And if he becomes the godly guy, why is he the godly guy? And if he becomes the (coughs) despot, then how do we handle him? And that's where the narrator is leaving you at the close of chapter 2. Well, not quite the close of chapter 2, but the close of this section. Solomon's throne is now secure, somewhat. He's got good advice, but horrible how to execute it. And he's just beginning. And he's going to confess with his own mouth, I am a man with no experience on how to run a nation. And his dad just contradicted himself and advice. That would be a struggle for a young man to take the throne of an entire nation. 